It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I felt very like I've ended up in New York and I've got a suitcase and a dream. Like <laughs> Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I'm not going to draw out this introduction because look who's here right now. It's Victoria Pedretti. We're here to celebrate the haunting of Bly Manor, but also all of your accomplishments. And oh my, you have been busy over the last few years. Yeah. (laughs) You should be very excited for Bly because I freaking love the show and I have a good feeling a lot of people out there will. We start back at the very, very beginning. And the first question I have for you is, What were you busy watching when you were growing up? And do you find any of those early favorites Mm -hmm. influencing the roles that you tend to gravitate towards today? Um, I feel like my earliest television experiences were probably, I was a big fan of Barney. Um, Haven't done any films with giant purple dinosaurs. So not sure how much that is influencing my choices. Um, Really into The Simpsons. Really into the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I'm not getting any ghost stories yet, so. Yeah, not even a Casper, to be honest. He even was a little spooky for me. Do you like watching uh, horror movies just casually? No, I feel like very recently I've been like starting to be able to watch them even. (laughs) Ah, uh, okay. So, So you you don't, uh, I guess you don't stomach them well. Is it a keep you up at night kind of thing? I, I, yeah, I think it's the imagery that kind of gets the right. Exactly. It keeps you up. It gets stuck in your head. A lot of people are like, you can't watch Hereditary if you're scared. Like it's really, really bad. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I sat down, I watched it. I was fine. I think it depends. I was more than fine. Maybe it was because I was so uncomfortable, but if I'm going to be like extremely honest, have you seen it? Oh, I've seen it. This bit? Yeah. This bit? <laughs> I started laughing hysterically. <laughs> There's something very extreme about it. So, yeah. so wait, what, what, first, what is the scariest horror movie you've ever seen in your life? 
that actually scared me. I mean, it was probably being forced to watch like Final Destination in somebody's <laughs> basement during like middle school or some shit. And then, and then not finishing it, you know, just being like, we're loving this. This is fun. You yeah. should finish it and rewatch it. Like now yeah. that you're a bit older, that franchise minus the fourth film is excellent. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'll check it out. I feel like horror fear horror fears that you take home with you usually are like part of a subgenre. It's like you're either afraid of like the real life horrors, you're afraid of serial killers, or you're afraid of ghosts kind of thing. I was always more afraid of the um the the, the actual monsters. Because I was like, we don't know. We could be talking about some shit that's real and then there's no there's no jokes anymore <laughs> you're probably not wrong but I but think also I remember when wrong. my parents were watching like SVU and Criminal Minds when I was even in high school and I remember them being like because they watch television they'll be like watch television with us and I remember being like I can't watch this anymore I love you guys enjoy what you enjoy but I will not be partaking in all of the gruesome violence because it isn't this isn't healthy. <laughs> well, gruesome violence or really any kind of horror with purpose is usually what I gravitate towards. And I do mm -hmm. think that's what you guys deliver with both Bly and Hill House. <laughs> but before we even get there, yeah. at, at what point did you realize that you absolutely needed to be an actor? Was it a personal experience, a performance you saw, anything at all? Well, I struggled in school and I wasn't very good at many things. Um, but this I'm okay at, so, <laughs> so I keep on keeping on. Was there a moment when you yeah, realized? I, think, I, I can't, like, def I can't really pin down the moment exactly, but I remember being in high school, not getting into the musical, being like, okay, well, I guess I'll do theater then. Boring, you know, there's no, there's no song and dance. Where's all the fun? Just gonna, anyway ended up loving it um and having the opportunity to do things where people came up to me afterwards and they were like that affected me and I was like shit really and that's a really great feeling you know being able to make that kind of impact so it's kind of addictive at that point can understand that that's kind of why I've become addicted to doing interviews about that kind of content because I enjoy yeah. sharing that um so you did study acting in college mm -hmm. was there any wavering or was there anyone around you that was like you should pursue like a more practical path in college and you know grow up and be a doctor or something like that yeah even my even my acting faculty told me that <sighs> they were like I don't know if you're cut out for this they were like maybe you should try this was the most offensive thing they were like maybe you should try directing and I was like that's not easier <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So I actually think it's it's good to discuss these kinds of things because you never know who out there is experiencing something similar. So totally. they say something like that to you. And how do you not get dejected and instead keep your focus on the craft that you want to keep exploring? It wasn't just a passion. It can't just be like, this is something I want to do. I feel like it has to be something where you're like, and I'm capable and I understand this. I think even turning to interviews like this one of other actors and hearing them speak and being like, this all makes so much sense to me. I relate to these people. I relate to these ideas. Um, that was very reassuring. You know, even today I'll watch those like Hollywood reporter actors round tables and be like, fuck yeah, that's what we're doing. Okay, I love this. Cause yeah. <laughs> 
you just said one of my absolute favorite things to hear. So, so the first, so first, let's take it this way. When I do these, oftentimes I'll ask another actor what they wish was asked more often that they'd like to hear more about in other interviews. And we just had Geraldine Viswanathan on the show. And the question she had was, what is the very first thing you do when you get a new script? Because for her, it's a process that changes from project to project. So what's the first thing you do when you get a script? I feel like I work very intuitively. I come to the script. I'm away from the script. I think I do things that look like I'm doing nothing, um, which is just like moving throughout the world and even like imagining and thinking about the processes of somebody else's brain coming from a different like life experience and whatnot. Um, I specifically like to write out like words that immediate that are like very evocative or like characters that like stimulate something immediately within me. Um, so that I'm painting a clear picture in the way that I personally paint the picture. So there's the other thing, if I want to bring it back to educational systems, you know, it is very frustrating sometimes to have people pushing you into doing things that aren't necessarily the way you do it and saying that that's a mark of whether or not you're capable, which is what I was experiencing. It was that I wasn't hitting certain, you know, doing it the right way. But I think it is really important to be able to look within yourself and be like, okay, this might not be the right way, but it's the right way for me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I went to film school. I love that experience, but I also think it's important to find that balance between sticking within the curriculum, but also understanding what, what your truth and your yeah, values are. Becoming an are. independent artist. What's your voice? You know, what, who, what good are you if you're just spouting Tennessee Williams and that's all you know, you know, and that's your world. Exactly. What's, what, what do you think? Especially as an actor, because we are so often expected to, I mean, what we do is interpret other people's language and try to bring other people's um, vision to life. So I, I think, especially in the educational system, we should be cultivating um, artists who are empowered enough to like advocate for themselves in the way that they work. I'm 100% with you on that. So I'm going to toss that question to you now to pass on to the next Ladies' Night guest. What question do you wish was asked more often in these types of interviews? Mm. I don't really know. I don't feel like I can do your job better than yours. I don't know what I, I want to be asked. I don't like that was really the most flattering non-answer I've ever received. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that I can <laughs> think of anything. <laughs> I approve. All right. Yeah. Go, going from college to Hill House now, what okay. happens between school and booking that job? Did moving from one to the other happen for you as quickly as it appears to have happened from our limited uh, vantage point? Yeah. Yeah, about three months after I graduated college, I had moved to New York and I was just auditioning all the time. And I was getting close, like already, like pretty early on and to like roles that I ultimately didn't get. But I was like, damn, this is feeling good. Like something's working. I'm, people are responding. Again, there's, I'm getting feedback. People are responding to it. But I'm like, okay, then let's just keep it going. And, um, yeah, then I got I got Hill House. I had a, like a Zoom type call with Mike Flanagan and my I was living in like a walled off section of a living room. Um, and I took my meeting in that 
little room. And uh, yeah, after that, we were, I think he was trying to figure out how to get me cast. I, I lived in New York City for quite some time. I feel like I could picture a variation of that walled off living room. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did, they did it like a pretty good job, but it was still like, it only fit a twin bed, my like one suitcase. It was very, I felt very like, I've ended up in New York and I've got a suitcase and a dream. Like it really felt like it was that situation. Yeah. An important step to take. So you jump onto the set of Hill House, your first big thing. What is a super silly question about the way a set works that maybe you were afraid to ask when you're jumping onto something as big as that? It was very hard for me to get over this idea that if I had a piece of trash and I needed to throw it away, I had to hand it to somebody to throw it away. Because if you as an actor are kind of moving around a lot and people lose track of you and they need to know where you are, not only that, but if you're like eating a snack while you're already on set, they want you to stay on set because that just keeps everything moving. Um, but I was really disturbed by the idea that I had to hand my trash over to somebody else. And I was like, can, can we not do this? And they were like, no, this is, this is, this is okay. <laughs> yeah. I think the, one of the first things that ever freaked me out was the idea of getting on set and not being able to help anyone with anything just because every department has their thing. And even though I might want to pick this thing up for you, I'm like, I'm not allowed. <laughs> Yeah, you're not certified, probably, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> not whatsoever. Of all of the actors in those two ensembles, whose process aligns with yours the most? And then whose is so different that it challenges you to adapt to the way that they work? I'm really complimenting myself, but I feel like me and Oliver work somewhat similarly. You said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, uh, when we talk about character and and all that jazz, I feel like we're working for a similar place, but I feel like he is more technical than I am still. Um, it definitely, he definitely pushes me. Um, uh, he is somebody who is in both seasons also. Carly Gugino, I feel like we're very different. I really, really appreciate the way she works like on screen and off screen. That really, really inspires me. I feel like even Rahul, like he did a lot of music at one point. The first season I used a lot of music. Second season I didn't, didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a roundabout way to answer the question. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna dig back into that as we get to Bly, because I do have some questions regarding Danny versus Nell in that prep process. But mm -hmm. first, after Hill House comes out and just like friggin' explodes, again, from our limited perspective, I look at that level of fandom and I'm like, every single person in that ensemble, this is it, the doors are blown wide open, you're gonna have your pick of projects next. <laughs> Could you feel that happening for real on your end? After Hill House? Yeah. No, I mean, like, I don't think you would feel that unless, like, the offers came, like, no offers came, you know, like, I, we all did our best, and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about other people, but, like, my closest people, I don't feel like, and I think, I think part of that is because as much as it got recognition by audiences, 
it's still as a horror show i think we struggle with getting like the critical support um that something like what you're describing to happen would need hmm. what about sure. <laughs> what about within within the netflix family because <laughs> did that show and its success pave the way to you for you Oh yeah, other than you, I guess with you. <laughs> That's a pretty good one to get there. It is a very good one. It was one it was one thing and I had the opportunity to audition. Um but yeah, I think they, they their interest, Greg Berlanti's interest was definitely peaked after seeing um Haunting of Hill House, for sure. As yeah. it should be. Huh? As it should be. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so moving from Hill House to you, Hill House is the first big project, you comes next. What did love require from you as far as preparation goes that Nell didn't, that might've surprised you? I think a lot more imaginative work um, in terms of um, just understanding the world in which she was existing in. There was a lot more discomfort in regards to clothes. Everything was a lot more like restrictive. And, and, and it's just all of the artifice. She's very, presentational and Nell is not. So it was more working on and understanding what she's trying to convey while simultaneously understanding what's going on underneath when Nell's just kind of like, <laughs> like all there, you know? I feel like all the Hill House imagery that just flashed through my mind right now is wildly <laughs> disturbing, but wonderful. Um, I'm now like a scary figure in the world. People look at me, they run the other direction. Well, I also feel like it speaks to how effective the imagery in Hill House is. Like there, there are certain yeah. scenes and shots in that show that I will never forget. Yeah. I don't know what, what you can say about season three of you, but are you guys actively working on that yet? Or do you still have to kind of like lay low until all of this sorts out? Um, I think we're, we're tiptoeing towards working now. Um, I know that we have some like meetings coming up and whatnot, but things are starting to come together for, for production to start. Are there any specific qualities of loves that you like started to tap into in season two that you're more eager to explore this time around? Yeah, the hysteria. You know, I, I mean, it was always happening. She was always kind of off her rocker consistently, even before the kind of large uh, reveal at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, I just love those when her and Joe are just going at it, you know, with all the hypocrisy, it's, it's, it's kind of hysterical. I really want to venture more into that. It's a good deal to mine in that department. Yeah, I think so. Creeping closer to Bly here. Once upon a time in Hollywood, how exactly does something like that happen? Does Quentin Tarantino see your prior work and just kind of call you up or is it a more traditional audition process? I don't think Quentin Tarantino seen anything I've done. Yeah, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about the process, but it was very strange, very cool. It had nothing to do with having done anything prior because I got that job when I was finishing up working on Hill House. So nothing I had been in had ever been released, which is kind of cool, you know? Got a Tarantino movie with no credits, whatever. <laughs> like I want to give all, all of your other credits the credit they deserve, but I feel like that's even cooler that he was he was kind of onto it beforehand. I think he was very interested in the fact that I looked like the actual individual. I think that was, but but you know, I didn't suck, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
One more I want to ask you about brief appearance in Shirley. Was that was that just like a, a weird coincidence that yeah. you were in that movie and also had Hill House? I, I believe it was a weird coincidence. Um, it was something that I mentioned when I had my callback, but uh, yeah, it was just a very strange coincidence. I kind of love that. And also I'm a big fan of Josephine Decker. So I feel like any opportunity to spend time with her on set is just real cool. Yeah, she, she's, a, she's a cool individual. All right, time to dig into Bly. So first we'll, we'll get some non-spoiler stuff out of the way. Did it feel strange to you at all making the move from Hill House to Bly or was enough of the casting crew intact to make it feel somewhat like you were shooting the second season of a show? It felt like shooting a completely different show for a wide variety of reasons. It being like very little of the same returning cast, shooting in a different country with an almost entirely different crew. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so now... I can't emphasize enough how good the entire Bly Ensemble is, but if you had to name one person who took what you read on the page from the very beginning mm-hmm. and did something completely unexpected with their role, who would it be and why? Oliver. Because what the fuck? <laughs> like to make a villain that relatable, that's set for a Snape level shit. You know, like <laughs> I think it's extremely impactful and he's my dear friend and like, it's not even about that, man. I just really, really admire him. But also, like everybody, pretty much, yeah. I think, I think elevated the material that was in the script so beautifully. You know, I loved working with Amelia and getting to do so many scenes with her. But then also scenes that I didn't get to watch getting shot with, you know, Oliver and Tahira and um, Tania and Rahul. Like, that shit fucking killed me I mean that fucked me up when I read it but then seeing them do it was like watch like was watching it as if I had never read it if that makes sense which I think is the best thing that you can kind of say after you've read a script I forgot the way in which I had imagined it and this was the only way it could possibly exist was the way in which they did it yeah I can 100% understand that so talking about Oliver and bringing up Amelia he had just told me that when he was first considering jumping into this, it was either for Peter or the Gardener role. Yeah. Had you signed on at that point where you can envision him in the Gardener role or was Amelia or was uh, Amelia already on board at that point? No, no, that was before Amelia was on board. That would be crazy otherwise. <laughs> um, Mike came to me with the idea of me playing Danny. And then when Oliver was getting involved, he, he was like, should you be the Gardener or should you be? And then everybody was like, it'd be creepy if the twins were lovers. And me and Oliver were like, we're not actually twins. It's <laughs> creepy that you find that creepy, but whatever. Um, but actually, cause what turns out is that a lot of people have reiterated that to us in press. Like a lot of people have been like, it's weird seeing you even play another character, let alone if it was characters who had been siblings playing lovers that would have just made it even more confusing but I'm just like I feel like we should separate the actor from the character like we should just be doing that culturally and understanding that like we are pretending (laughs) um I think that's really really valuable (laughs) I do think the value of having Oliver in his role and having Amelia on board in that gardener part is a big part of the reason that the show 
really like resonates and has a kind of a relationship that we don't see on screen nearly often enough and sure. it is greatly appreciated yeah yeah no totally I think there's a lot of good that came from things working out the way that they did so now I have some very ghosty specific questions for you that I don't know if you're going to know the answers to but maybe from your character's perspective first I was wondering if you saw any commonalities between how the hill house ghosts operate and what the ones at Bly are capable of and if it was on your mind at all while you were filming no you know I kind of let hill house go once it was released I released it also <laughs> I feel like there aren't a lot of similarities you know the ghosts of hill house are extremely vengeful but then you know there's also random ghosts that are just kind of there which are more similar to any of the ghosts in this season that are not the lady of the lake mm-hmm. um and I mean the ghosts of the house not like me and Henry's ghosts well Danny and Henry's ghosts um yeah so they're just kind of chilling they don't really <laughs> fuck with anybody which is the same with the hill house <laughs> ghosts other than like Olivia and um because I, I always think about the the clock fixer <laughs> <laughs> and how he's just like chilling fixing the clock do you remember that's that what, yeah i do that's that's what makes this type of stuff special it's when yeah. those little details get seared in your brain and you never forget them yeah yeah it's i also made a big impact on me and that ghost is like he's just he's 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 even working on the house I don't think there's any, we don't have any ghosts like helping out in this season. (laughs) It it speaks to the obsession with, with mythology that Mike creates in, in both seasons though. It's, it's that idea of you getting a full story, but also just the mechanics of the world creating greater interest in exploring like the cracks in between. I love that. I can't get enough of it. What kind of conversations did you have with EL Katz in regards to what it feels like for Danny to have Viola inside of her? He definitely gave amazing notes, but I can't remember what they were. You know, I think when you're like in that high anxiety of state of being like, I'm prepared, I got all the lines, you just gotta go. You like hear something and somebody's just like, it feels like, and you're just like, aha, I understand, goodbye. And you're just like, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm sure he gave me wonderful notes that I cannot remember. And we definitely, that, that, that we discussed, not in depth, but on the day. I, I understand that. I have a feeling it might be a similar answer to this question, but I was mm-hmm. wondering, why does Viola reemerge at that specific point? Is there anything that triggers it or is it a running its course type thing? In the particular moment when she's entering the the flower shop? It's not necessarily, yeah, I guess, I guess just loosely that many years later, why does she start to see her at that point? Time. I don't think that there's any catalyst in that moment that springs Viola up. Maybe joy? Not really. <laughs> Comfort, uh, contentment, monster. <laughs> oh, is that how you connect the dots there? So... This, this is a little different. What do you think Viola, this is just kind of like fun theorizing. What do you think mm-hmm. Viola would have done had Danny not gone back to Bly and she reemerged in the States? Would it be a similar kind of like terrorizing and killing wherever she reemerged? Well, I think she would still be pos- in possession of Danny's body. Mm-hmm. 
and Danny, yeah, would be consumed by the anger and rage um, as well. I mean, I feel like you even see it a little bit, I hope, in that moment um, when they're in Paris and they're discussing how the kids are, have been, the burden has been lifted of having to remember anything that happened. Mm-hmm. I hope we see there's a little jealousy there. You you feel it. You yeah. Feel it. E- and that's, that's, not, that's not something we would have seen from her when we first met her. I feel like that moment play, playing well also speaks to how good Kate is in that role in episode eight. I wasn't ready for how well that kind of initially jarring shift was going to work, that you can kind oh, of yeah. feel that longing and devastation and that jealousy just radiate through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So I got two more spoiler questions for you. And th- this is, I feel like I have my answer to this, but I'm obviously more curious about yours. Mm-hmm. If Danny knew what her fate was going to wind up being for having gone to Bly at all, and she could go back in time and revisit that decision, do you think she would make any other choice? No. Thank you for reiterating that. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing about the very, very end of the show. So... At the end of the story, do you think that Danny is physically there with Jamie or is that Jamie kind of imagining her just for an extra source of comfort? It's a wish. It's a memory. Yeah. Okay. I like that. In, in the way in which, you know, the ones that we love stay with us and, and they leave an imprint and they, yeah. I was shocked by how comforting this show was in the end. Mm. After all that, that's why, that's definitely one Big reason why it's going to stick with me. So we always end Collateral Ladies Night with some super random questions that I just come up with on the spot. So brace yourself. First, do you have any pets? No. Do you want a pet? Are you a pet? Yeah. I've been thinking about getting a cat. It doesn't really make sense to get a dog. I've never been a cat person, but they're growing on me. I was never a cat person until I got a cat, and now I'm a cat person. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people say that. Do you collect anything? Um, I hoard things. Is that collecting? <laughs> yes. I don't literally hoard things. I guess that's a real problem that people have. Um, yeah, I I like I like picking up knickknacks, even like a s- sticks that really call speak to me. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't save anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah all over this room yeah i think i've and i've had so many like extremely uh wild experiences in my life yeah i hold on to stuff from all of that have you kept any wardrobe or props from sets that you've been on yeah yeah um from uh like the first season of hill house I have an engagement ring, the engagement, the like wedding ring from Arthur and Nell. Um, This season, I took a lot of the underwear. (laughs) Taking the useful (laughs) stuff, I get it. (laughs) No, I mean, every, everywhere I go, I take the underwear, but, um, Um, yeah, that's the one that's really coming to mind. I'm sure that I have other things, but 
the other ones I'm not sure I'm supposed to have, so I don't say anything. <laughs> Understandable. I'll give you two yeah. more here. How about if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life over and over again, what would it be? I was saying the other day I was something and it was just a plate of different smoked fishes. Okay. That might be like with bagels, you know, but then also I would want to die. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would kill myself. That's not a I, life. <laughs> I feel like as long as the bagels are in the mix, then I'm okay with it, but I can't just yeah. do like a smoked fish platter for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, just eating spoonfuls of white fish salad. That's not what I mean. I've gotten in the habit of ending on this one. It is a bit of a deeper one. So take your time to think if you'd like. Okay. What is your biggest fear that you've had that you've actually managed to overcome? That is so deep and it feels way too personal to answer, honestly. <laughs> I'm mad. Yeah. Um, um, but something that's like not deep. Um, not deep. I've, been, I've been, I think, dealing with heights better. Like I've been trying to, have you heard of scrambling? I have not heard of scrambling. Scrambling, I don't think I fully understand what it is, but basically it's when you jump from rock to rock. And in California, there's a lot of places to do this, to, to run around jumping from rock to rock. Um, and I just didn't have a lot of like adventure fun times. I didn't play sports. I was one of those kids who's like really sensitive and just sat and watched TV and didn't want to go outside at all. Um, so this idea of kind of doing things that put my body at jeopardy you know, we're like, it's not actually crazy. I'm long enough to reach the thing. It's just if I trust myself. And so it's been a great exercise. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Ladies Thank Night. You. It is much appreciated to everybody out there. Bly Manor, it's on Netflix right now. And if you couldn't tell, I think you need to watch it. So go check it out. Go watch it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.